It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Touchdown, Los Angeles. You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That's right, I'm doing me, I'm doing me, I'm living life right now, man, and this is what I'm going to do till it's over, till it's over. Rams Nation, what's happening, what's good, it's your boy Bear Motter of Rams Podcast, but this is Lockdown Rams. It's the Friday edition of Lockdown Rams. Welcome back, everybody. Hope everyone had a great and happy new year. I was down in San Clemente with my buddy James. Didn't get back till uh, about early this afternoon. Here we are on a Thursday night. We've got Jake Ellenbogen tonight. Really excited about that conversation. We're going to kind of recap some things. Uh, We're going to get Jake's point of view on the season, uh, some of the players, some of the coaching, some of the moves that we have coming up next. So, uh, a great episode for you guys tonight. Again, don't forget to go give us a follow. LA underscore Rambling Bear on Twitter. Lockdown Rams, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can also find our guests for today's show at Downtown Rams at JK Bogan DTR. Go give him a follow. He's kind of picked back up the pen and gotten back into the writing world as well. So make sure to go check out the website, downtownrams.com. Uh, I'm really excited about this conversation. Again, we have talked... Since the beginning of the offseason, we talked expectations leading up to this. And now here we are kind of getting to uh, sadly sit here at the end of the season and look back on some of the things we said. And me and Jake are going to continue to talk through the offseason as we talk about, you know, next moves and, you know, free agent wise, who should we keep, who should we let go? And then really when we turn into uh, Jake's niche and the thing that he does really well, which is the drafting uh, as well as the draft prospects. So we'll hear all about what the Rams are going to do with the draft capital that they do have. I know we gave away a lot and we have given away a lot, uh, but we're going to talk about all that, not only today, but over uh, the next couple of months as well. But with that, again, great show. So let's just kick right into it. Coming into this Rams season, there was tons of expectations, and it's fair to say missing the playoff was a disappointment to all. I'm Bear Motter of Lockdown Rams, and I'm joined by Jake Ellenbogen of Downtown Rams, and this is your lead story. Jake, four months ago, you and me sit here on the same podcast, and we talked about the outcomes that we expected for the Rams, and we had some high hopes. I picked them to go win or at least play in the NFC Championship game, or else it would be a disappointment to me. You picked them to win the Super Bowl or bust as a disappointment, basically. Well, both of us were completely wrong and completely far off, so sitting here now a week later... How big of a disappointment is this season truly? Yeah, um, you know, it's a disappointment because it's not like, hey, I'm a fan of this team and I want them to be good and I'm disappointed. It's a disappointment because you know they left so much on the field. There's so much that didn't happen that could have happened. And just when you think about it, I say so much, but really only four things had to just change and you would have completely changed the course of history. I mean, first off, let's just go back to the missed field goal against the, the Seahawks. Uh, but even so, let's go back to the fact that the Rams had a lead on the road on Thursday Night Football against Seattle earlier in the year, mm. and Sean McVay went super conservative. Instead of really just trying to put him away, 
he went really conservative with the play calling and let Seattle back into it. As you know, Russell Wilson does his thing, and uh, that is that was all she wrote when you know Zerline missed the field goal. They still had a chance at the end, but they wouldn't have been in that position had he not gone conservative. Um, the 49er game. You know, really, when you look at that, the Rams had multiple opportunities, even though that they were absolutely dominated. The score was only 20 to seven. I think people forget that the Rams were not they They would not go away. And it wasn't even like they were playing well. It was almost like the 49ers offense just kept letting them back in the game. Or rather, the Rams defense does deserve some credit as they held uh, the 49ers to uh, it was, I believe, 13 points because 20 points. I think they took a, a fumble back. Um, or an interception back for a touchdown. So those are two things there. When you, you know, you look at the Steelers game. Okay, we can talk about the officiating all we want, uh, but really the bottom line is they were coming off a bye. They needed to win that football game. That was a huge momentum booster if they were able to win that on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't able to dethrone Mason Rudolph and the Steelers team that didn't make the playoffs. Yes, the Jared Goff pass was clearly a pass. It was a forward incomplete pass. I can't believe NFL officiating actually thought that that was a forced fumble. Uh, quite abysmal in, in that game. Um, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, Sean Smith's crew was god-awful, um, to, to say the least. But... Uh, still, you know, they the defense gave the Rams opportunities and the offense couldn't move the football. So, you know, that was, that was that, um, you know, they won the game against the bears and that was great, but then they got absolutely eviscerated against Baltimore, um, which, I mean, you, you can't, you can't get killed like that in this, in this league, but at the same time, you know, they were able to bounce back. They, you know, they ended up beating Seattle, um, what have you, but really what it, ca- what it came down to after all of that, you still had an opportunity and you, you needed some help, but you still had an opportunity. Dallas, that game, you should have won that game. You should not have let Dallas destroy you. I mean, that, that was really, that was really it because then once you got into the whole hail Mary scenario where the Vikings had to lose too. And of course they're, they're going up against the Packers who they'll probably lose to, which they ended up you know, doing, but then they get to play a home game week 17 to go to the playoffs um, after not making the playoffs last year. Uh, I know a lot of people were pointing to that game, but at the same time, let's not act like they weren't sitting all of their, uh, you know, their starters. Um, They already had it locked up. However, the Rams, they still had an opportunity later on in the year. um, Well, the game after the Cowboys game, they were able to play the 49ers and they blew it. They absolutely dominated the 49ers for three quarters um, and they let a Jimmy G, uh, you know, hey, like basically, a, a, you know, a heave. It was basically like one of those half court heaves in the NBA. And uh, for whatever reason, it was like the Rams it, it, in, in NBA terms. It was like the Rams had a center back there and he tipped the Jimmy Garoppolo half court heave into the basket. Like, it, it, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's the best way to put that um, because, you know, it, it's not like he really did anything. I mean, it's impressive for him to get that ball out while he's getting hit, but it wasn't like a great throw. Um, it just unfortunately happened with broken coverage, and that was the season. Um, the 49ers eliminating the Rams from playoff contention was probably the worst case scenario, and probably um, I don't think it could have 
been any worse to, to get all hyped up for that Saturday night game and, and see them and the way this offense really started to, to show up and, and, you know, the emergence of Tyler Higby and it was kind of all for naught at the end. Yeah. And as you talk about, you know, as you break that down, really what I'm picking up is the inconsistencies of this seasons, having some highs, having some really big lows and not being able to find kind of that center balance to be able to bring you through Games like that Pittsburgh game, as you talked about, coming off a bye, a really, and I, I, we called it a must win at the time because the way we built the rest of the schedule, we knew we didn't have a lot of games that we could give up that we should win. And that was one we should win coming off that bye, playing a team with Mason Rudolph, that their offense was in shambles at the time. But unfortunately, our offense was even worse at that time. And then you go back to a few games, um, you know, the Ravens game, just completely laying that egg on you know, national TV and getting blown out by 40-something points. I mean, you just can't do that when you're trying to compete, giving the Bucks 50-something points at home, uh, you know, midway through the season before you go up to Seattle on a short week. So there's so many things in that season that went up and down. I mean, you start 3-0, and you come off hot after uh, late in the season as you win a few in a row and you think you got a chance. So it's just been ups and downs. You talked about the conservative play of Sean McVay. We're going to talk about that a little bit more here on this episode. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into uh, some of the players as well and get your take on that. We've got a jam-packed full episode coming up. we got two more segments. We're going to step away really quick. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about a few of those star players. Who's to blame for this season? Is there any one particular unit? We're going to talk about all that. Friday edition, Lockdown Rams. More coming up. Jake and Bear right after this. It's playoff time. It's time to put some money down. And you don't have to bet with your heart. The Rams are out of it. So if you're the type of fan that knows football so well that you can choose any game or call it, well, maybe my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all of your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. NFL playoff football, few college bowl games left, NBA, start of the college basketball season. It's time to get off the sidelines and get into the action with my bookie. And hey, if you're a guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. Join right now. MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you will get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code LOCKEDON. Take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Before we get over to the next segment, I want to talk to you guys about one of our favorite sponsors here on the show. That is Metro Infinity. You guys know all about them. They are the number one volume dealer in California. And they're the only dealer in California that's been family owned and been in business for over 25 years. They are the place to go if you need a new or used Infinity. They've got some awesome deals going on right now during the holidays. So you got to go check them out. You can reach them at 626-599-7510 or go to MetroInfinity.com. Don't forget to mention Locked On. They're going to give you another $500 off any car purchase. This is a perfect time of the year to go get a brand new car or used car. Check them out. The best thing about it is they are not like all these other dealerships. They are changing the game when it comes to the car buying experience. You don't want to go and sit in the office all day. That's fine. 
You want to go test drive the car? Come on down, jump in, grab some keys, let's go. Afterwards, we'll talk the paperwork wherever you want to do it. If that's at your home, your office, if you want to go grab some lunch, sure, let's take this off-site. Let's close the deal there. We're not going to go back and forth haggling over numbers. They're going to give you the best deal possible. If you're thinking about a new or used car, give them a chance to earn your business. Believe me, you won't regret it. They also have over 50 certified pre-owned Infinities. You can reach them again at 626-599-7510 or MetroInfinity.com. Cheer yourself up with this downer season. Go get a new car. Metro Infinity, a proud sponsor of Lockdown Rams. I just can't remember it all. What am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. I'm doing me. So as we talked about leaving that last segment, we talked about the disappointment it was and, you know, coming off a Super Bowl run last year to not even making the playoffs. And I've said it here on the podcast before, and I heard Sean McVay say it, 13 teams had a winning record, 12 of them made to the playoffs. The only one was the Rams, but man, there's so many things. And even Todd Gurley mentioned after... I think it was after that uh, last Niners game where he talked about the little mini battles within the game. And the Rams just didn't win enough of those little mini battles in that game to win that last Niners game. Well, you could look at tons of mini little battles, whether that's that Bucks games or that Steelers game or any of those close games that, you know, Seattle game you talked about on the road. And, and if we just win a few more of those little battles, you can start to win a couple ball games and all of a sudden instead of missing the playoffs by a game, you're in by two games or whatever it may be. This thing can swing both ways. And that's my expectation and hopes for next year is obviously we get back to winning some of those close games. But when you look at it as a whole, and there's been a lot of blame on certain players like Gurley and Goff, and we'll get into a little bit more here about Gurley, but uh, who do you really look at and who do you put most of the blame on this season? Is it the players? Is it the coaches? Is it injuries? Is it something else? What are your thoughts on when you want to point your finger at somebody? I know that's not the most team thing to do, but we're out here in the media. Who are you pointing your finger at this season? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, when the players don't perform up to par, I think the coaches, you know, you would think would be responsible for that but you know what i'm i'm kind of tired of that i'm tired of well the coaches well no 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 no, no. because here's the thing why is eric weddle who's been an all pro before not playing up to standard why is you you know like we could we could talk about every player and how oh why is jared goff who uh led his team to the super bowl last year who's had two monster seasons and given the rams hope uh, how is he all of a sudden, you know, forgotten how to play the quarterback position? It's unfair to basically just, you know, point out the coaching staff. However, I will say this. I'm talking more so position coaches. I will say when it, scheming is off, I do think that's when you see some issues. I think Wade Phillips got the best defense that he had, um, you know, with the Rams this year. I think he had the best defense. I think this was a Super Bowl defense, but I thought this was a defense that, as great as they were at times, they could randomly give up 40. They did it three times this year, uh, something that's never been done in Rams history. Uh, but, it, you know, I, I just think th- that was the biggest thing, first and foremost. Second, um, it took the Rams until, like, week 14 to find their offense. And, you know... It, 
I, I'm all for like you know moral victories here and there. Um, you know, nine and seven felt somewhat better than eight and eight. Um, you know, the emergence of Tyler Higby uh, was something that was interesting, and and you know, I I could definitely get behind. It was almost like it was like a mini game almost. You know, I was sitting there watching the final game, and everyone I was with. Um, you know, by the way, shout out to Keith DeHaas. He was actually he met me out. Uh, one part of the Ramley on Twitter. Um, but you know, like part of the the thing is like I was with people watching that last game. And, uh, you know, it was a mini game in the sense that we were all rooting for Tyler Higby to get over 100 yards for the fifth straight time and be the first tight end to ever do that uh, in back to back to back to back to back games. So, um, you know, it, it was almost like it was different, you know, uh, you, you know what I mean, Brad? Like where like, you know, if this was a, a, a game that they needed to make the playoffs, so this is a game that they needed for, for you know, home field advantage or this is a game where they had you know, backups in because they didn't want to, you know, necessarily play their starters and they wanted to rest them, it would be different. But however, you know, it got to the point where the season was over and it was almost like you're playing for these mini games, the like the little things, you know, you're trying to take any bit of momentum you can and throw it into next year because it's not entirely realistic. It's not entirely fair. Um, you know, you could be looking at a completely different offensive line. You could have a different quarterback. You could have a different running back. I mean, I said this on the downtown Rams podcast with Alexis and I'll say it over and over and over again. The only two that are 100% untouchable are Sean McVay and Aaron Donald. I, at this off season, I, I wouldn't be shocked if no matter what happens, I wouldn't be shocked. I would only be shocked is if they fired Sean McVay or traded Sean McVay or if they traded Aaron Donald. I think that's the only thing that would absolutely shock me. Everyone else on the table. That's interesting. We're going to get into a little bit on the on the player side here in the next segment as well. So I want to keep that in mind when we get there. Uh, but it was funny, as you mentioned about that Tyler Higby in that last game and kind of, you know, talking about the mini personal uh, achievement that, you know, he could have had with, I think he was 16 yards away. But it's funny because looking up to that game, uh, I didn't have much at stake with that. Obviously, he talked about playoffs were out, but my girlfriend was in a fantasy football championship, one of the, you know, few leagues that go all the way up to week 17. It's a two week one that they were doing. So she had been playing that person in a week before. She had like a 14 point lead. And it came down to that Rams game. Really, Tyler Higby scored that touchdown. Uh, late in the second half and my girlfriend ended up losing was down by like 24 points and with Robert Woods touchdown and a late Baltimore defensive touchdown I think they blocked a punt and then recovered it in the end zone Uh, she went up by like 0.6 points over a two-week battle and we're watching this game and here I am like rooting for Tyler Higby to go further but that's who she was playing against and I'm like I really want Tyler Higby to get his 100 yards she's like no no more yards like if it's anybody it can be Robert Woods he got <laughs> late in that game I don't know how much everyone was really paying attention late in that game but the Rams were basically just trying to run clock uh, they were running the ball with Malcolm Brown and then they gave a reverse to Robert Woods where he got like four yards or something like that and that really solidified the championship and the game ended and my girlfriend got to celebrate and I got to say hey we got nine wins but it's not what we wanted to like you said it was the little things we made it work at the end right we were able to find a way that nine and seven was positive for me and you at least I know there's a lot of people out there that are pretty disappointed still but uh, it is funny as you talked about that but I as as going back to my question who would you blame and I'm going to answer this a little bit too and I know you said you weren't going to be the one that was going to kind of look at the coaches and and point your fingers, and then we talked about a few things on each side on who could take some blame. But I am I am going to put it on the coaches. 
Uh, you come off a Super Bowl loss. You understand that your your offseason is a lot shorter. You need to compact a lot of things. You had the health of Todd Gurley and issue the whole story. You had the 11 personnel and what are you going to do? People schemed against you. Are you going to come in with new stuff? And I I thought that they just didn't adapt very well at the beginning of the season. Yes, we started out 3-0, and but McVay really close to that 11 personnel. People start started to really figure him out. I thought the adjustments... Uh, just weren't really made very well either side of the ball. I know our defense, and you mentioned, you know, played a lot better, and we'd gone through some injuries and things like that. And once we made that trade, we really started to kind of uh, buckle it down. But just Sean McVay's aggressiveness, you talked about it in a couple games, that Seattle game. We played it really safe up in Seattle. You're on the road after getting blown out at home. And I won't say blown out because they made that game close at the end of it. But at a point, we're getting blown out at home. You come out on the road short, and then you're up, and you start to play conservative. Even going back in that 49ers game, the last game, uh, the second to last game for the season is, and start playing that conservative. We were really dominating that that game, uh, and then even in the third quarter when we took that lead and and there was an opportunity to continue to kind of gain on that, they started playing a little conservative, even on third and 11s, kind of doing runs and not allowing Jared Goff to make the throw. If you don't trust your $110 million quarterback, we've got a problem. Another thing that you said is you didn't think they got the offense together until about week 14. That's a problem. That's a coaching problem. Sean McVay, I think it was week 12, week 13, came out at a press conference and said, we still don't have an identity. That's a problem to me. That is a coaching problem that needs to get solved. We got to, you know, where we got with this Tyler Higby conversation is near the end. They started going a little more 12 personnel and they involved Higby, which is exciting for coming up next. But what does that mean for the three-headed monster of, you know, Cooks and Woods and Cooper and you talked about you know everyone other than the two people you mentioned may end up going and and that's curious to see what we're going to do with that and how you're going to make everyone move and then obviously Todd Gurley so now I'm just ranting but uh, basically the point that I'm getting at is you know I thought there was a lack of focus at times with too many of the penalties Uh, and you talked about a couple of those ones those Ravens games where you just show up and you just flat out don't show up really I mean Ravens Cowboys Bucks uh, those games, you just didn't show up, and those were much-needed games. The one off the bye versus the Steelers, another one where you had all the time in the world to prepare mentally, get this team ready with a game plan. Yes, there was injuries, and I, I will say that, but I was kind of a little disappointed with the coaching overall, the focus, the attempt to detail, the uh, adjustments, all those things that I think I put on the coaching staff. Yes, the players, you know, Jared Goff had, you know, more turnovers than me and you have hands in or have fingers and toes. But at the end of the day, the coaching's got to be able to support some of that. And I thought they kind of let him down. So uh, we're going to get into next because I ranted a little bit. We let you rant a little bit. We'll get into this next segment because I want to talk a little bit further about some of those star players and their role in this and what it takes and then really moving forward because you're saying only a couple people are safe. I think you're pretty close to that. I think there might be a couple more people on that safe list, but we're going to talk about it next here on the third segment. Lockdown Rams Friday. Jake and Bear, what is the team doing moving forward? The Suns rise in Orlando, but their playoff hopes set in the West. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
Despite finishing a perfect 8-0 in the NBA bubble, the Phoenix Suns are leaving without a playoff berth. Check out Locked On Suns today for a postmortem on an amazing run by Devin Booker and company. That's all thanks to tiebreakers and a Karis LeVert jumper that rimmed out, giving the Portland Trailblazers a win and a meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in series for the Western Conference 8th seed. That begins on Saturday. Beginning today, all of the Locked On NBA playoff teams will be previewing the playoffs with special crossover shows. Scout your team and your opponent on the Locked On Podcast Network. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Locked On Fantasy Football with your Locked On Fantasy Football Edge of the Day. Tight end is a prime position for finding fantasy football sleeper value in 2020. After George Kittle and Travis Kelsey go off the board early, don't worry. You can wait and still get some great return for a starter at the position. The two prime targets both have HH for initials, the Chargers Hunter Henry and the Falcons Hayden Hurst. A healthy Henry can have a monster downfield receiving season for new QB Tyrod Taylor and carries high TD upside. As for Hurst, he's stepping right into the productive spot vacated by Austin Hooper in Atlanta as key support to Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Trust in Henry a little earlier and Hurst a little later to give you some pleasing tight end one results. Get the edge in your fantasy football league every day by listening to Locked On Fantasy Football on your preferred podcast provider. So here we are back in the third segment. We've talked about uh, really the overall view of the disappointment. I think we all share those feelings. And we also can, you know, if you have some optimism like me and Jake, you can pull some good things out of that. The nine wins, uh, you know, Sean McVay looking at what he's done in his early career here uh, is still a really good coach. And what we expect in, in this team is going in the right direction, but we missed the playoffs. And then we started to kind of get into a little bit further in where we went wrong, right? With some of the coaching and some of the players and the, you know, not showing up some games. But now I do want to kind of keep zooming in here as we talk about this team and some of the downfalls. And and one of those people that was a big topic during the offseason, we mentioned in the second uh, segment there, but you know, outside of Jared Goff, it was a lot of talk about Todd Gurley, the knee. How's he going to rebound? You know, he had a big year as far as carries and yards and touchdowns and productions. He got, you know, he gets that big contract. What's he going to be? How are you going to utilize them? There was this whole plan for him, quote unquote plan. And during the off season, all this, and we knew he wasn't playing during the preseason. Then we got here. Uh, but then he goes to really, you know, he keeps up with the touchdowns. He does what thir- over 13 again. I think he had 15 total with the two receiving touchdowns. Uh, but he has about 800 less all purpose yards with almost 60 less opportunities, a whole slew of offense linemen that were thrown in there. So what were your thoughts on Todd Gurley, the year, the hate that he received, the doubt, the future of his role? What are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, you know, I I think Todd is one of the 10 best rushers in the league. Um, You know, I I think that he's been somewhat overlooked and underrated. I think people, when they hear his name, they think of his knee. Um, I also think they don't give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, He had a a rough year in 2016. Uh, It was after, you know, his, his the year before that when he had a monster season, um, really broke onto the scene, became a star overnight almost. Um, But I think that the thing that's really important here is 
running backs have bad years, okay? Uh, you know, any player has a bad year. Jared Goff had a bad year this year, and all I hear are excuses. It's, well, you know, this is, this is well, you know, Roger Saffold isn't here, and, and it's like, okay. I mean, when do the excuses end? Well, why does, you know, better yet, why doesn't Todd Gurley get any of them? You know, why does Todd Gurley never get the excuse? Well, you know, it's always his knee, right? Oh, well, he's lost burst. Okay, well, even still, he had 14 rushing touchdowns. I've seen on uh, you know on the Twitter sphere and in pretty much everywhere, um, <clears throat> you know this kind of idea that you know touchdowns don't really matter um, because you can just have 14 touchdowns when you run it 14 times at the goal line. Um, but if that's the case, then why does Todd Gurley continuously find the end zone, even when you're saying that he's not at his best, he's still finding Pater 14 times. I mean, come on now. I think really that the thing is, you know, everyone's worried about stats. Everyone's worried about yards. You know, touchdowns means he put points on the board. The Rams don't have, they, they really don't have a good red zone offense. So if Todd Gurley can pound the rock 13 times in the red zone into the end zone, that's a good thing for the Rams. However, I'll say this. Todd Gurley, um, to this point, has had one of the best starts to a season for a running back um, in his first five years ever. Um, you know, he and I, I did tweet this out. <clears throat> Going back to the touchdowns, <clears throat> he has 70 over the last five years. The only one that has more than him that I found, and I went through all these different, um, you know, legendary backs, not even Eric Dickerson. It's LaDainian Tomlinson with 80. So it's LaDainian Tomlinson with 80 and Todd Gurley with 70. And then he's ahead of Barry Sanders, Eric Dickerson. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, it's just the way the NFL is today. And I'm like, you know, if that's the case, then why did Todd Gurley have 40 over the last two years before this year? You know what I mean? So I, I just think people are really quick to be like, well, he's a product of the system. And I'm like, maybe, maybe, just maybe, if you realized he's actually the engine of the offense. Because when Todd Gurley isn't trucking along and Todd Gurley isn't in his rhythm and Todd Gurley is not a focal point of the offense, the Rams most likely don't win. Um, I, it, it was kind of bizarre this season. It almost seemed like the Rams really wanted to see the most out of Jared Goff and, and putting that investment in him. Goff threw more than any year. They ran the ball f- fewer times than any year. And if you want to say, well, Todd Gurley took a step back, then why don't we just look at the fact the usage, the lack of production came from the lack of usage, the lack of production came from 10 different offensive linemen on the line. There were multiple injuries. You had to replace a Pro Bowl left guard in Roger Saffold, and you didn't get it done. And quite frankly, you know, I guess point the blame at, you know, the town evaluators because they somehow thought it was okay to let Roger Saffold go and they thought it was good enough to replace um, him with no boom and, and have Allen at center. And I just to me, they weren't ready. Um, you know, I feel like no boom doesn't really have the, you know, the the beef to be an interior guy. I think he's athletic. He's meant for, um, you know, to be a tackle. Um, but I think, you know, no matter how good this this team, you know, pass blocked this year. And they only gave up 22 sacks. I think a lot of that had to do with Jared Goff throwing errant passes just to get the ball out. Um, I'm not taking anything away from them still. 
But I think that people get so caught up in, well, the offense did well because they only gave up 22 sacks, but they forget that the offense also needs to know how to uh, run block, you know? And and if the offensive line isn't run blocking and there's not running lanes coming, you know, Todd is going to have to, you know, work some magic. And, and if you're saying that he's got this crazy arthritic knee and he can't move laterally as well anymore, then it just became harder for him. But I'll, I'll say this. There's still times where I saw burst, man. You know, I, I, I don't think he's gone. I don't think the old Todd Gurley's gone. I think it was a weird year. I think everybody, in a sense, had kind of taken a step back, except for, you know, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods on the offense, and, of course, Tyler Higby at the latter half of the season. But, I mean, like, why do we not talk about that? Why is it always just, let's just blame Todd Gurley. Let's just trade Todd Gurley. We overpaid Todd Gurley. Look at this. When you paid Todd Gurley, he was the best running back in football. And the guy before him that was the highest paid was Devontae Freeman. So I'm sorry. His contract was totally worth it at the time because it was to- he was like astronomically better than Devontae Freeman, like not even close. So that's what happened. Yeah, and a couple of things that I would, you know, maybe now after seeing this kind of develop is going, uh, one, I think we we probably pay Goff and Gurley just a year too early. Like, just maybe get to that point where you have to pay them and then to pay them. But I understand financially, then you're maybe taking some things on at the same time, uh, as well as trying to build the rest of your team and you're trying to have these big negotiations that can kind of play against each other. Uh, whatever it may be, you don't want to get into the Aaron Donald situation where you have holdouts and creating this whole noise behind it. But maybe I am slowly learning that a running back position is one of those positions that maybe you don't need the big, you know, forty million dollar guy. Instead, you work it with a couple different guys and go that direction. And I'm not. This isn't really coming at Todd, but maybe something that you'll see other teams start to decide to go. Like the Chargers, I don't think they're going to go pay. You know, they basically put their foot down and said, we're not going to pay more than $10 million a year on a running back. And if you don't like it, uh, you can sit out. And if you want to, you know, Gordon, we'll see what happens with him. I very highly doubt that he's going to be back uh, there and they're going to make it work with Eckler and throw in another back, right? So maybe that's something you'll see other teams do. But we're here. We're, we're Todd. We're stuck with Todd. And I think it's not a terrible thing to be stuck with. As you said, I think he's still a very productive back. I think the production was down big time. And then even if you're going, okay, it's only... 40, 50 carries difference, but you're talking about the way that that was built, right? As far as, um, you know, only getting five carries in the first half and then trying to heavy load them with 10 or, or, you know, 10 or more in the second half to try to get his numbers back. I don't think he was built in offense. You said it great. I think we should, our offense, when it was working last year, was going through Todd Gurley. It was started with Todd Gurley, but we had great run blocking. We were allowed to do that. And then Jared Goff kind of came off of that. This year, it was a lot forced on Jared Goff to be the offense. And uh, at times, Sean McVay kind of forgot about having him, you know, him being uh, Todd Gurley in the mix, whether that's throwing to him. That was another thing we did not see a lot of. And in fact, kind of looking at Todd Gurley's numbers, it was second lowest in his careers as far as yards uh, attempt, second lowest yards per game. Uh, he had his shortest run as far as for the whole season that came this year. Uh, he had his second least receptions. He had his second least receiving t- touchdowns, second lowest, um, or sorry, lowest catch percentage, uh, second lowest yards per touch, second most fumbles in his career. So all the things either in the good category were near the bottom to, or very last. And in the bad category, they were near the top. So 
production-wise, he didn't perform when he got the ball, but I think Todd Gurley also is one of those guys that gets into a flow and really starts to wear down a defense, that old-school running back that's going to wear down a defense in that third and fourth quarter. Even looking back to his rookie year, most of his production was done in the third and fourth quarter when he started to kind of get a flow into the game and started to feel out the defense and start to wear them down and be able to find holes And he never really got into a flow at all this year. And so, yes, I think that goes back to my second segment when I was kind of blaming Sean McVay about this and kind of saying some of the things that he did, I think, needed to fix to kind of help our players. I think long run will be good with Todd Gurley. You kind of had him in last segment on the board as far as, you know, potentially a trade. And the thing for me is is looking at, you know, what the money is owed for him, what the dead cap is. And I think if we end up trading him, uh, we'll take on some dead money, but I think the net there is I think we net like three or four, maybe $5 million from trading Todd Gurley. I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth getting five extra million dollars to trade Todd Gurley. I think it was a down year. I think NFL has ebbs and flows and ups and downs. I think this offense will get back on track. They know now that what their plan was for that offense line didn't work and they need to really beef it up and find a different way and have a better backup plan because we found that backup plan late in the year with the 12 personnel, but then that kind of became obvious at certain points. And even in that San Fran game, it worked in the first half. Second half, they really slowed us down. So uh, Sean McVay is a lot to get to, but I think Todd Gurley is going to be a key piece. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for the bounce back. I was thought it was going to be this year. I thought we were going to just roll into it. And I think me and you were on the same page there. It didn't happen. Um, but looking at this, and we're kind of running out of time here, but uh, looking at it, you know, you mentioned the trade aspect of it. Uh, anybody else with, a namesake that you think, you know, has a good chance of not being back for, you know, the brand new stadium 2020. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be tough, um, you know, for somebody like Michael Brockers, uh, you know, I don't think he's a guarantee and I really like him. Um, it's going to be, you know, predicated on if he's willing to come back on a cheaper yeah. deal. Um, I'd say, you know, I, I really don't think that they'll trade Brandon Cooks or, or Todd Gurley. Um, I think that, you know, free agency, they could lose somebody. And I do think Dante Fowler is probably somebody that they'll end up losing. Um, I think Fowler does want to stay a Ram, but I think somebody, you know, some team that, that has to get rid of the cap because you do get penalized for, you know, rolling over too much cap. Um, I think some team like that will go after uh, Fowler and just be too much to, to turn him down. I, I think the Rams do ultimately bring back Corey Littleton and I think they find some role players, these key kind of glue guys in free agency that maybe they have some familiarity with the coaching staff. Maybe they don't. Um, or maybe they just, you know, have, they've seen, you know, throughout like playing games and such. Um, I think that they'll bring in guys like that. I think Marky Christian comes back. I think Corey Littleton comes back. Um, you know, I think that there is a chance that the Rams end up, you know, ex- I think there's a pretty big chance the Rams end up extending uh, Jalen Ramsey. Um, I think Eric Weddle's release. Thoughts on Whitworth? Uh, Whitworth is going to be an interesting one. You know, it, it's almost everyone's making it Corey Littleton versus Dante Fowler. But what if we just say Corey Littleton is going to be a Ram? And, uh, you know, the Ra- keep in mind, the Rams completely changed their plans because of Corey Littleton and only starting two games. They saw enough on film to be like, okay, Alec Ogletree isn't our guy, Corey Littleton is. So what makes you think that they're going to let him go to sign an edge guy? You know, to me, I think that they have a lot of depth there, and I think it's it's not Corey Littleton versus Fowler. It's almost becoming, because of the Jerry Goff potential 
um, you know, the idea of uh, potentially, um, you know, restructuring his deal, which would free up almost $17 million in cap, that would be enough for one of the guys. And I think that it would be between Fowler and Whitworth. I think that's the conversation we have to start saying not 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 Littleton I think Littleton comes back I think the Rams would even um tag Littleton and sign him yeah and I think that's ultimately what they'll do they'll tag him and then they'll sign him to a long-term deal that's what I see happening yeah I'm with you I think Littleton's I mean I'm I'm big on making sure he sticks around uh also I mean just kind of rewarding and and Lesney talked about it we'll talk about it more on this podcast throughout the offseason but he talked about defending the Goff and Gurley contracts that these guys are players and they earned it and that it's not always about, you know, he wants to be that GM that also rewards good talent. And I think that is a prime example of a guy that they got with Corey Littleton that's been with the team for, what, four years now, undrafted free agent, rookie out of University of Washington. So I'm excited to see Littleton stay. I think Fowler's gone. I'm with you. I think Andrew Whitworth comes back on a one-year deal. I think he will take a team-friendly deal because he's been in the season because he's been in the league 13, 14 years, he's not looking to break the bank. He's looking to make a run. And I think Jared Goff needs to restructure his contract if, again, wanting to be that leader of the team and understanding he didn't play up to par. Uh, yes, you have a ton of money in that contract built up, but why don't you just spread this thing out a little bit and uh, take that bonus of next year, that roster bonus, and, and push it back a little bit and save up some money. I think that needs to happen as well. So, And, and yeah, I think you're right. I think Dante Fowler just too much money. I think the only other thing is maybe instead they could potentially uh, tag him, but that price tag gets high uh, and then try to sign Littleton. There's ways to keep everyone. But again, Sean McVay said it. We're not going to be able to keep everyone. So uh, we'll see how that kind of shakes out. And I can't wait to talk about it with you through the off season as we get more information. And, and uh, as you start to talk some of the sources that you have and, and what the interest is for the Rams is, is what they're going to do next. And then start talking about the draft. But Really quick before we get out of here and something we can talk a little bit more about next time and break that down a, a little bit deeper on some of their biggest plays and things like this. But good news for the Rams and for Rams fans that have been around for a while. Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, finalist for the Hall of Fame. I actually, as we were having a talk here, I saw the Rams just retweeted as kind of a celebration tweet. Uh, but really cool for these guys. Hopefully uh, they can make it into the Hall of Fame. They have been on the edge for a long, long time, probably too long uh, two of the greatest receivers in Rams history and really, uh, you know, in the history. They were both left off the top 100 list for the NFL. That was not the top 100 of players overall, but 10 players at each position. Neither of them made it kind of uh, potentially a rob there. But hey, Hall of Fame, if they get that gold jacket, what a great way for those guys to go out. And what a great way to end the podcast. Uh, Jake, man, I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate you giving me the nudge, nudge reminder about the finalists so I could drop that in at the end. Uh, and uh, look forward to talking to you, uh, you know, hopefully again next week and throughout the offseason hearing you talk as you talk with some of the draft prospects and as we start to look back uh, and look forward to 2020 and what that season can be because I still think this team this organization is going to be in the mix when you're talking playoff football for years to come so we'll see how it shakes out jake ellen bogan make sure to go give him a follow at jk bogan dtr as well as downtown rams he's back to writing he'll be putting up a lot of content so if you are like me and need tons of content of rams this offseason one you can stop by here lockdown rams your team every day but don't forget to check out downtownrams.com jake is always going to be putting stuff up jake my man we'll talk to you soon Hey, thanks so much as always, man. I, I can't wait to be back and, uh, you know, it'll be fun with the draft coming up.
Oh, the draft is always the part that gets us going again as we start to rebuild this team and, and look at how we fill those holes. There's a lot of holes to fill with free agency uh, and the draft, so we have plenty of stuff to talk about as we talked off air before we started. Man, where do we get into today and over the next couple weeks? So much to get to, so I can't wait for it. But with that said, Rams Nation, you know what it is. Until next time, peace. We've been everywhere and back, but I just can't remember it all. What am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. I'm doing me. I'm living life right now, man. And this is what I'm going to do till it's over. Till it's over. But it's far from over. Yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. I'm doing me. I'm living life right now, man. And this is what I'm going to do till it's over. Hey, Locked On listeners, you already love our network of NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fancy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fancy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind, helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network.